Adult content intended for an adult audience only. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. Contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link above to further support this writer. X-Ray Vision Part 07 by Elaine Mature Though it was a Monday holiday the shoe shop by the mall was open. An Indian family owned it and wasn't concerned with American observances. Jillian had acknowledged my observation that we should probably drive, since walking shoes were the thing we lacked. This was our first pickup truck shopping trip. She enjoyed the experience, window down, one arm out in the breeze, lazily feeling the wind as we cruised across town. There it is. That one. She probably didn't need me to point it out, as the giant neon sign in the shape of a shoe saying, shoe repair, was pretty hard to miss. It was a shop in a row of shops on the street flanking the mall, one of the few stores to survive the flood of chains and multinationals that came with the mall. The rest were thrift shops, seasonal specialty stalls, a coffee shop. Shifting down expertly, swinging into the lot and parking neatly in front of the door, Jill set the brake and killed the engine. Before we go in, what are we here for exactly? She liked to sort out shopping before we got deep into it. Avoided impulse buying, she said. No fun, I said. Anyway, how much trouble could I get into in a shoe store? Walking shoes. Replacement beach shoes ours are getting pretty stinky. We like to walk in the surf, which both washed away sweat and added oceanic life. Subsequently, they smelled about like those piles of decaying seaweed you find on the beach. Sandals. She was getting into it. And I need something other than those red pumps. I thought those red pumps were just fine, thank you. Red fuck me pumps were my favorite style. She had her own thoughts on that subject. Not sure Mrs. Kumari will have all that. We can only hope. This shoe store was fourth generation. The Kumari clan apparently came over in the 1800s, servants to a British couple that emigrated to America. Opened a shoe shop. Been selling and repairing shoes ever since. Their granddaughter even worked at a big athletic shoe company, an engineer slash designer. That left Mrs. Kumari and her old employee Chatterjee in charge. Probably the last in the family line to run the shop. I don't know what will happen to it when they retire. They're both sound as a dollar, all that vegetarian food I suppose, so not worried, not gonna happen anytime soon. We disembarked. Holding hands we briefly window shopped, went in. Master Gregory. So good to see you. It has been too long. Jillian raised her eyebrows, smirked at me. She maintained my illusion of stealth all these years was either a polite fiction or evidence of senility on my part. Each time she met someone I had known for years she rubbed it in. And you must be Jillian. Gregory, you have excellent taste. Such a fine young lady. Such splendid legs. Mrs. Kumari understood everyone by their legs and feet. The result of generations of training and experience, I suppose. Jillian played along, tipped one leg, showed off her gams. Very nice. Shorts, beach shoes, lots to look at. And you will be wanting? Jillian spoke up. I need some walking shoes. This guy likes to hike everywhere. He's wearing my feet to the bone. Something good for miles of sidewalk? Mrs. Kumari asked her to kick off her shoes, walk across the floor to the counter and back. From just that, she knew everything there was to know about Jillian's stride, stance, walking style, footfall. Where her shoes were likely to wear and how. From ten seconds of observation, from being born to the shoe business. Disappearing into the back she returned shortly with three boxes. Sit, dear. Try these on. The first were functional brown almost boots, meant for hiking really. Stiff soles, so you could scramble over rocks without bruising your foot. Ankle support and spades. Jillian slipped her naked feet inside, snugged up the laces, tied them securely. Mrs. Kamari sat on a stool in front of her, untied them, snugged them differently, retied them. Oh, that is better. A thankful smile from Jillian, my consummate social sweetheart. She could charm the socks off nearly anyone. Mrs. Kamari smiled despite herself. Walk. Outside. To the street and back. Make sure they don't slip, the heel is secure. Jillian complied, the door jingling as she departed. Mrs. Kamari watched her go. You won't let this one get away, will you, dear? I reddened. Mrs. Kamari had wanted to match me up all my life since I was a teenager hanging around the mall, was deeply disappointed in me for remaining resolutely single. I can assure you, I am doing everything in my power to win her over. 
A broad smile, approving nod. She will make you a better man. Already I see improvement. How that could be I don't know. I felt the same, on the outside anyway. Jingle jingle. Jillian returned. Wonderful. My feet feel so strong. Like I could walk forever. Good, good. You will try all three, compare them, choose which is better. That way you will get only the best. Always a saleswoman, Mrs. Kamari. Jillian sat, tried to slip out of the boots but couldn't, had to untie and unsnub them to get them off. The next pair were more stylish but more flexible. Lower top, not so much ankle support. Jillian tied them herself, to Mrs. Kamari's satisfaction this time. I just sat on a bench, admired her legs, tried to peek up her shorts, and generally purved on my girlfriend. Standing, she moved her weight from foot to foot, feeling the difference. More cushion. Less stiffness. For city walking only. Jillian listened absently, just getting the feel of them. Without being told Jillian jingle jingled out, headed around the parking lot, striding like she was going somewhere. I worry about the ankle support. But she is young, strong, weighs perhaps not so much as some, will not have trouble with turning an ankle like the rest of us. I nodded, looking around the old shop. I'd been in it maybe a hundred times. Used to spend a penny in a gumball machine Mr. Kumari had by the counter, all those years ago. Mr. Kumari was long gone, bowel cancer, that had been hard to watch. Also gone, the gumball machine. The stock room was well supplied, which meant business was still good. I was glad. The independent shopkeeper was a dying breed. The community tried to support them, but it was hard going for most. A rack in the back of the break room held bagged shoes, repaired, waiting to be claimed and paid for. This was much as it had been when I was young. In fact, some of the shoes were exactly as when I was young. Still here, all these years later? Still unclaimed? Surely the owners were long gone, moved or dead? The style of the oldest pair was indeed antique. Maybe even from before Mrs. Kamari's time? I had not noticed such things when I was a lad. While I could see everything, Jillian joked that I saw hardly half of what I saw. And she was right. My memory was no better than anyone else's. I noticed only what was interesting to me. Shoes had not been interesting to a young boy. How is the shoe repair business? I asked. She tissed. Shoes these days. Not reparable. Designed to fail. Only last so many miles, no more. Hardly any leather. Sauls that are high-tech has to be more expensive than the rest of the shoe. I get hardly a pair a month. Mr. Chatterjee has become an idler. Spends his time drinking coffee in the mall. Perfectly good coffee shop next door. Just wants to look at the girls. Shameful. She always complained about Mr. Chatterjee, how little he worked. I was certain he would never be let go. As much a fixture of the shop as she was, without him she'd be lonely. Her only company after Mr. Kamari died, after her granddaughter went to college. A shop was about more than profit. Jingle jingle. Also wonderful. Lighter yet. But yes, I can feel the road more, feel even gravel in the parking lot. Mrs. Kumari nodded. If you wander far from the sidewalk you will know it shortly. Bruises on your saws, toes that cramp. Yet they are more comfortable on the level, a matter of personal preference, walking style. The third pair were pretty lurid. Clashing colors, made mostly of foam and plastic, these were among the high-tech monstrosities she'd bemoaned. Jillian looked dubious. Even she knew these were ugly, garish. But she was game, struggled into them, laced them. Mrs. Kumari had to intervene again. These required different tension to fit properly. Stepping forward, her feet fairly flew off the floor. She high-stepped, laughing. They weigh nothing. So strange. Like feathers. Mrs. Kumari acknowledged that, but her expression was sour. Yes, almost magical in their construction. Like things of air and seafoam. My granddaughter designs only shoes like this now. She praises them endlessly. Jillian was amused, took off for her turn around the parking lot. To pass the time, I continued on the subject of shoe repair. You must have some shoes that you repair, yet no one returns to claim? What are your oldest pair that you retain? She smiled, a subject she was comfortable with. We have several from Mr. Kumari's father's time, yes. That long ago. Shoes of distinction, durable and endlessly reparable. Why anyone would leave them, I don't know. Yet the oldest pair unclaimed are the most remarkable. Let me show you. I let her fetch them, actually interested to see. Old things were a favorite topic of mine. She returned with a large bag, clearly containing more than one pair. Unrolling the top, she extracted a slip, set it carefully aside. 
Like the owner might really return one day. Next came out a pair of Oxfords, hand-tooled leather Italian, gleaming like the day they were put in there. So splendid. Mr. Kumari used to oil them, keep them in the best condition. I would say, why maintain them? Let them rot. But he was truly respectful of shoes, and would not let such a fine pair go to disrepair. Clearly someone else had been caring for them. Mr. Kumari had been gone a decade and still they were in splendid shape. Do you ever seek out the owners? I was really curious. Never. The policy has always been, let the customer wear out their shoe leather retrieving the shoes. We do not wear our shoes, delivering them. We would become paupers, our feet bare, our shoes in ruins. That sounded like Mr. Kumari for sure. The second pair came out women's pumps, brilliantly green suede, brushed to look like kidskin. Beautiful. But tiny. For very small feet indeed. Mrs. Kumari beamed at them. These were something she approved of. The workmanship. The finest. A work of art. Like sculpture. The flowing lines, the contrast of buttery soft suede, the horn heel. It makes your heart flutter. Well, her heart I suppose. And perhaps Jillian's. She was a shoe girl I suspected. Her one pair of pumps were treasured, kept spotless and wrapped in tissue. Idly I looked at the slip. Mrs. Richardson. Could it be? Do you know perhaps, who these might belong to? Mrs. Kumari sighed. A fine lady, is the story. Brought them in to be stretched. Feet can grow as you age. Then she died, never returned. Mr. Kumari's father sent a card to the husband but got no reply. So the story goes. Why might that be, do you think? She sighed again. Sometimes, a spouse dies, the survivor is reluctant to respond. I think, I suppose anyway, that it might seem too final. To tie up the remaining loose end, to complete the last of their beloved's tasks. Better to leave something undone, somehow that means the life is not quite finished. One task remains. We were interrupted by Jingle Jingle. And Jillian returned breathless. I ran. These shoes just make you want to run. They launch you on every step. I felt like an athlete. She was flushed with the effort, excited. Well, Mrs. Kumari, I think that decides it. Her face fell. She knew what was coming. We would want the high-tech monstrosities. Wrap up all three pair. Each for their own purpose. Each to be worn at the right time. Jillian was going to object. But seeing Mrs. Kumari light up, she froze, uncertain. Then certain. She would let this happen. It wasn't all about money, after all. There were more important things. A fine choice. You will be glad to have them. I will make up the ticket. Beaming, she took the boxes to the counter, began to operate her ancient adding machine. You are a softie. This from Jillian quietly. I smiled, kissed her cheek. You know you will wear them all. Each pair has its purpose. Take care of your feet. Spend this little sum now, to avoid a doctor's visit later. Mrs. Kumari was ready for us. We met her at the counter. It was not a little sum. It was breathtaking. Shoes had doubled and doubled again, since last I'd bought any. Jillian remembered. Beach shoes. Sandals. Pumps. Mrs. Kumari considered. The first two I can fit you for. But the pumps? For high style you may wish to visit a dress shop in the mall. They will have the most variety. I have but two styles, for older Indian women. We browsed, found cheap beach shoes on a display by the window, matching, which pleased Jillian for some reason. She looked at strappy sandals, chose some pair reputed to be healthful somehow, cork and leather. They added hardly anything to the bill. Jillian paid in cash, new bills brought from her brick of cash. I was amazed she had enough. She had a far better idea of the price of things than I had. We spoke again of small things, said our goodbye and carried our purchases to the truck. Jillian banged down the tailgate, hiked her butt up on it, began removing her beach shoes. These things are going in the trash right now. She seemed gleeful to be rid of them. They were indeed epically disreputable the canvas worn through, greenish around the edges, all trace of tread worn away. Hers had started as my old pair, worn out before she got them. I did the same, fumbled in the bags for the new ones, gave one pair to Jillian. She gave them back, took the other pair, put them on. I put mine on. Yes, this was improvement. Something I could have done ages ago, but never had replaced my worn-out shoes. Maybe Jillian was good for me. We were good for each other, taking care of each other. Felt good, a solid kind of good. I bagged up the shameful shoes, hiked to a bin on the corner, dumped them in unceremoniously. Jillian had driven to the corner to meet me. She hailed out the window. Hey, stranger. Want a lift? Why, sure. 
I'd love to get into a truck with a beautiful woman I just met. You better hope I'm not some kind of perv. Oh, I'm hoping you are. She giggled, waited for me to come around, climb in my side. The mall? For those pumps? She considered. It's not urgent. And we just spent an astronomical amount on shoes. Let me let that percolate for a while. Not too long. She had to get used to spending money, when it was something that would improve her life or well-being. But her call, I made no objection. Where to then? She wheeled out on the highway once traffic was clear. Kings! I have that dress to return, to get repaired. Ah, the dress I'd ruined. The same night I'd ruined Jillian, made her my lover, taken her virtue. Maybe not biologically, but emotionally and psychologically. She'd been violated and abused by another man, a con man, which had made her resentful and angry. Together we were working through that. One loving day at a time. Did you bring it? I rummaged in the back seat, really just a rumble seat, a ledge behind the bench seat we sat on. There was a bread bag, and indeed it contained her entire dress. A wisp of cloth, some stiffening interfacing? Barely enough to keep her from being arrested, while arresting the attention of every lustful individual who saw her. Have I mentioned what a lucky guy I am? I like to remind myself of that every day, several times a day. Aren't you too cute? Kang had recognized our new shoes instantly. She was aware of every scrap of clothing she ever saw. It was in her jeans. Taking the dress bag from me, glaring at me as she removed it from the bread bag, I didn't put it in there, she straightened it, examined the torn seam closely, smiled. The black pearl buttons rattled in the bottom of the bag. She studied them, looked at me. There's one missing. I colored, stammered. I, uh, I kept one. As a, as a trophy. Men. She and Jillian shared a look, which made me simultaneously ashamed and proud. Kang turned the dress inside out, sniffed the crotch, smiled evilly at me. Okay, that was uncalled for. She'd designed the dress, called it Jillian's Greg Fuck Me dress. I could hardly be faulted for responding as expected. Okay, I can fix this. I can match the button. No problem. I'll put it on your bill. This to me. Kang insists that boyfriends pay for dresses. They were ultimately for them. I didn't mind, not one bit. Certainly not after I saw Jillian in the dress. But by God, that dress bill was going to be stratospheric. Have the day off? Lucky. What you gonna do? Kang absently, as she was laying the dress out on her table, aligning the seam, checking for stretch. Walk to the river, in our new shoes. I got walking shoes, hiking shoes. Running shoes. Kang looked up, alarmed. Running? From what? My little sister, rocketing around the streets like a teenager. Jillian grinned at her, glad to be considered a rebel. She went to fetch her shoes from the truck, show them off. Where are you taking my sister? Nowhere dangerous? Kang felt protective of Jill, always made me promise to treat her considerately. Just to the river. To watch the birds. And to look in the bottom, explore the history of discarded and hidden objects that was liberally laced with. There is construction there. By that old hotel. Be careful. A crane, taller than the building, blocking the street. Some nature society? Sierra Club? Yes. Fuang's old gang tell stories, over morning tea at the center. They make up reasons for whatever they see, claim superior knowledge, generally annoy each other. Sounded like old guys I'd known. Still, none can guess why this club is concerned. With an old hotel? In ruins. A dump. Jillian had returned clutching her bags, heard that last part, met my gaze. What? You two shared a look. Tell me. Glad to have one over on her sister, Jillian responded first. Greg found the Richardson will, the couple that owned the building? Way back? Same name as that fancy street on top of the hill? Seems the old guy, Mr. Richardson, he left the hotel to the Sierra Club. How did they? Greg sent them the will. With some pictures of the stuff still in the building. On the top floor? Amazing stuff. I was confused. What amazing stuff? Old chairs, dusty pictures? Antiques, I guessed, but still, all old junk to me. Kang shook her head, went back to fiddling with the dress. Picked it up, tossed it into a hamper. Has to be cleaned first, I suppose. Jillian pretty much made a mess in it. It's always something else with your guy. Next he'll prove aliens invented the pyramids, or the Civil War was a giant sex scandal. She saw our look. What? You did it again. Jillian shook her head, not telling, just got out her shoes to show off. While they admired the good shoes, exclaimed over the monstrous high-tech plastic ones, talked about heels and pumps, 
I remembered the old mechanical floor safe I'd seen under the river. With the antique sex toys, Confederate money still inside. Jillian still talked about that one. Once the shoe talk was over Jillian changed into her walking shoes and we headed out. Leaving the other shoes in the pickup on the street, we headed for the bridge. The crane was visible from blocks away. They were setting up some scaffolding, first to the lower roof, then again up to the penthouse. I imagine they put an elevator in there? To get the stuff down they wanted. But what would that be? Why would they want it? For museum exhibits? We tarried on the river though I was anxious to talk to the crane crew. What exactly is in that old safe? You said an old sex toy? I refocused my attention on the river bottom, scanned until I found the metal box, reviewed what was inside. There are stacks of confederate. Yes, yes. What about the sex stuff? Jillian could be single-minded sometimes. I grinned and considered the sex stuff. A model penis, maybe a foot long. Curved. Made out of, I don't know, ivory? Marble? Something hard and seamed. Oh. That couldn't have been very nice. What else? A thingy like an egg beater, a handle and a crank on the side, something leather on the end. I think it's a vibrator? But before electricity. Okay, now that was funny. Jillian was giggling, pantomiming operating an egg beater over her crotch. Hilarious. Then a harness. Like a halter for a horse? But much shorter. Maybe for a person? For some kind of role play. She thought about that, thought maybe a little too long for my comfort. No way was I going to put on a harness, get ridden by her. What else? A bottle of olive oil? A personal lubricant? That would be interesting. I wonder if it's still good. For what? For eating? Or for? For that. I wouldn't trust it for eating. I guess I wouldn't trust it at all. Lastly, a small velvet bag full of marbles. They're hollow ceramic, full of something metallic, liquid. Mercury? Oh my god! I heard about those. You stuffed them up your cooch, they sloshed around as you walked. Like a kind of vibrator. But mercury? Poisonous. I couldn't imagine where she'd heard all that. I didn't ask. Any magazines? Postcards? Anything like that? There were some postcards. I hadn't paid any attention to the bound material before. Now that I looked, yes, indeed it was cards and photographs, pages and pages, old engravings of sex acts with lurid prose. I described them while Jillian took mental notes. I don't think that one is actually possible. I was pretty sure I couldn't stand on my head long enough to make it worthwhile. Jillian had other ideas. Maybe against the wall. We exhausted the entertainment value pretty quickly. She asked about other river bottom artifacts. I described the masses of pins, coins, keys, padlocks, eyeglasses, plastic cards. I left out the guns and knives. Why that stuff, do you think? It's what the water doesn't erode, what doesn't rot away. She thought that made sense. Plastic lasts pretty much forever. We moved on. Next time we take the other bridge, look for more stuff. A few folks were attending the crane, which towered over the building. Most were at a truck unloading scaffolding parts. Another truck held an elevator. I was right. They were preparing to empty the content of the building. Else why bother with all this? One fellow with a walkie-talkie stood out from the rest. His ID said, Foreman, so I hailed him. He looked me over, hesitated, then signed off, came to the roped-off boundary, looked polite. You're looking for the old Richardson artifacts? He brightened. You bet. Some investigator sent some photos. I saw he had a copy of my snapshots in his coat, photocopies. The penthouse? He nodded. There's more. Now I had his interest. He came right to the rope, stepped under, took us across the street to a bench. Tell me about it. Are you the mystery investigator? Jillian looked like she wanted to spill the beans, but I interrupted like I hadn't heard. There's a photo in the newspaper archives shows the building as it was originally. It had a parking entrance on one side, a ramp going down. I guess when they raised the street, some flood control project, it all got paved over. He seemed to digest that. Why is that interesting? The lower floors were looted, abandoned long ago. The article claimed he had cars down there. A Royce limo, one of those old ambulances like in that ghost movie. A DeSoto cab from the 1950s for the hotel customers. He was doubtful, speculated they might be long gone. I knew they weren't. They were parked right where Mr. Richardson left them, or his driver anyway, next to the long missing original elevator. No way to get to them but dig the entrance out. But how to convince him? Without a will, unless they were stolen they'd have to be still there, right? That alerted him, 
I'd given away too much by mentioning the will. He took it in stride, maybe understanding how I might be reluctant to spill the beans. In any case, he was circumspect. I guess we could get a hoe down here, do some digging. A picture you say? What paper? What issue? I mentioned the paper, the year. He'd have to send somebody to find the particular issue. The entrance was on that side. I indicated the east, the alley, and ramped down, turned under. I suppose it wouldn't take much to prove the ramp was there? Just a pick, a few minutes? He was on his radio, getting up, ready to leave, turned to us. Thank you, folks. You've been a big help. Expect an article in the paper later. Full disclosure. Nothing kept hidden. The Sierra Club wants the town to know all about their history. He haired across the street, still talking. Why didn't you want him to know it was you? That had found the will? I was trespassing. Remember? She shook her head. They'd have nothing if it wasn't for you. They'd be on your side, not give you any trouble. But other people might. Folks learn I can find things. There would be a line at our door? She hadn't figured that far. Still dubious, she let it drop. We hung around a while, saw a guy take a kind of jackhammer to the alley, ratcheted it around, dislodged some pavement. Got excited, the foreman came over, got on his radio. I think our work here is done. Jillian agreed. Another success for the finder. She kissed me thoroughly, which I had forgotten was my reward for helping people. Releasing me, I commented. The Sierra Club has like a million members. Didn't I help all of them? I looked hopeful. She smiled, laughed. Let's head back to the truck, go for lunch. Afterward we'll see what we can do. That sounded good. The foreman had returned, waved us over. We found the ramp. Looks like it wouldn't be too much trouble to excavate. A thin layer of asphalt, then dirt fill. I've ordered up a rig, a dump truck. If it all looks good structurally, we should know by tonight. Jillian was excited. Those folks were the richy riches around here. Nothing but the best. Who knows what those cars will be like. I did. They would be very pleased. The basement had remained dry. The cars were in mint condition even if a little dusty. Nothing but the best. That reminded me. Oh. Our shoe repair shop has something belonging to the Richardsons. Oxford's pumps left all those years ago, kept. May as well be gathered up with the rest of it? Maybe some mention in the press of the shoe shop, how they'd kept the trust faithfully for three generations. He smiled, entranced by the idea. Now that would be something. Fits right in with the community history angle. I'll send somebody over. I gave him the address, Mrs. Kamari's name. We headed back, stopping on the bridge when I reminded Jillian of my good turn for Mrs. Kamari. That one was a good one. I think she likes Mrs. Kamari, wanted to do right by her, kissed me until I was out of breath. I mentioned Mr. Chatterjee but she frowned, balked. That's just getting greedy. I admitted that was true. By the time we'd gotten back to the truck I'd gotten more rewards, one for the foreman who got to be a hero, finding the cars. One for Mr. Richardson, God rest his soul, rescuing his prized cars from ruin. For Mrs. Richardson, the shoes retrieved, her final task complete. And finally for Mr. Chatterjee, I think just to shut me up. You know you can't remain hidden forever. Folks will get wind of you, spread the word. That had been a nagging worry of mine for years. I'd hoped to put it off, maybe until I was too old to care, or something. Seemed like I needed to face it, at least for now. I have other reasons for keeping under the covers. It's like if I help people and get famous, why am I doing it? To help them? Or to be famous? She looked at me all soft. You want to be anonymous, so that you know you're doing right, only because it's right? Ah. She gave me a very pouty look, gave me a hug. Okay, that wasn't painful. Maybe it was okay for some people to know. Jillian for sure. Her family? Probably was time to come clean with them. I'm willing to, uh, come out. If it's done carefully. Not the entire world. Not even the entire Sierra Club. Maybe start small? With your family? That pleased her no end, that I wanted to be honest with her new relations. She took my head in her hands, forehead to forehead, nuzzled my nose, looked me right in the eyes. You can be Mr. Secret Finder for as long as you want. I get it. Exposure will add trouble and embarrassment to your life, our lives. Okay, let's start very small. I'll tell Kang, she knows most of it already, see who she thinks can be trusted to know next? That sounded a whole lot better. She saw me relax, knew I was good with this. It was good to talk about the important stuff with somebody. And Jillian was more than somebody. She was the person I wanted to tell everything for the rest of my life. And speaking of the Sierra Club, 
I owe you something for that. I perked up. A million kisses is going to take a little time. We could get started after lunch. She laughed, shook her head. I'm thinking more like, a little role-playing, some bare-naked snuggling. It'll have to be something special, to be worth a million kisses. And no harnesses. No harnesses. I promise. And now food, I'm starved. The nice thing about Jillian was when we worked hard and got hungry, she was motivated to cook something good. I like food. I'm very food-motivated. I think she is too. Part of growing up hungry. I was her helper, which meant I tried to taste everything and got my hand smacked. She started by browning some bacon not enough, there's never enough, just a couple of pieces. And one extra for me, she said. While I nibbled on that she cut the meat off two chicken thighs, fried that with the bacon fat. Good move. Then onion, a couple tomatoes. She crushed the tomatoes with her hands, seriously a ninja cook, just split them with a knife and then crushed them in her fist like a boss. Cool. Some herbs and spices. Then lastly a can of white, beans. Not a thing for me growing up, we were always pinto beans or black beans. I reserved my judgment. Some broth from a box, some water to make it enough, and bubble on the stove, set the timer for ten minutes, me hanging around the whole time asking if it was done yet. She surrendered after nine minutes, rolling her eyes and dishing up. Had some crusty bread from the bakery section, supposed to be banh mi rolls but crispy like baguettes, perfect for soup too. She got a bag of grocery store shredded cheese out, sprinkled some over our bowls, handed me one. I snagged a roll, headed for the porch. Got there and forgot a spoon. She followed with two, handed me one, sat carefully. Oh my. This was good stuff. Chicken and bacon and even those weird beans were good. All working together, sop up some broth with the bread, yum. She looked at me strangely. You do like to eat. I looked back, sheepish. I make noises, I know. Mom always scolded me. But this is so good. I continued to slurp and chew and make yummy noises. A companionable while later, bowls empty, nibbling on a crust, we look up, saw the day progressing. Maybe some storm rolling in. She asked, like I was her personal weatherman. I don't see much rain. That was as far as I'd go. It was weird, and I didn't like to try to see it. It was everywhere, attending to it made everything else muddy and cluttered, took me a while to recover, relax and see regular again. But rainstorms looked, well, maybe tasted? Like a streaky, rough, moving bank of witness. And there wasn't much of that out there. A flash went off high in the clouds offshore, just a brightening in the heavens, and quite a bit later we heard the rumble. Two miles offshore! She was impressed. You got some sonar going on? You can tell how far away. I shook my head. Scouts again. Sound travels a mile in four and a half seconds. Just count from the flash to the thunder. I grinned. My woodcraft was strong today. Next one, I saw her counting in her head. Closer. Weather coming in. We retreated to the condo, leaving the porch to whatever was coming. While I washed the bowls, spoons, pots, Jillian went into her bedroom to change. I suspected nothing, my mind on hot water and suds, my gaze on the sink, you been gonna need cleaning. Her long hair gets into everything. Oh. Mr. Park Ranger. I'm so glad to find you out here, on this lonely meadow. I'm lost and alone, and with this storm coming in, I need to find shelter quickly. Do you have a place I can snuggle, warm and safe, until it blows over? I turned to look, my hands covered in suds, the drain making a sucking sound as the water whirl pulled down. My mouth dropped open, and my shorts tented. She wore those new hiking boots, thick white socks pulled nearly to her knees. Her shortest shorts with the waistband rolled up shamelessly. They hugged her crotch, outlined her sex, exposed her butt. A headband holding her hair back. And nothing else. No panties, no shirt. And absolutely no bra. Her sun-kissed shoulders moving up and back as she struck various quizzical and beseeching poses, her gorgeous breasts proud. Hands on waist, turning her torso so her abdomen flexed, the muscles of her belly moving, working, her belly button on her toned stomach high above her single, almost non-existent garment. I adjusted quickly. Um, where is your shirt, young hiker? You should really have some protection from the sun. She giggled, looked down pointedly at her tits. Oh, I lost it somewhere by the river, after I waded across. It was all wet. And I felt so much better when the sun dried my nipples. I hate wet nipples. She bounced up and down to make her point, her pretty nipples bobbing with her supple breast. I, uh, think I can help you. I have a place, not far, where we can shelter from the dangers of the wilderness. Wild animals that might want to ravage you. Lightning. 
Rain that would, uh, get your nipples wet again. I wasn't really very good at this. Oh. I suppose I can stay a while, until the raging storm passes. Then I was headed for Mount Hardon. I wanted to climb it, on it and off again, on and off, before dark. Can you help me find Mount Hardon? Is it so, so high? Too high for me to manage? She put one crooked finger to her lips, opened her eyes wide in an expression of simple curiosity, bit her lower lip. Jesus, I was going to come in my shorts at this rate. This was simultaneously so, so stupid and so, so hot. I think we can find, um, Mount Hardon. There's time before sunset to reach the summit, as many times as you like. But we'll have to stretch our legs first. And apply sunscreen. I was ad-libbing now. She stepped forward, took my hands still covered in soap suds and splotted them to her breasts. I stared helplessly, still trying to keep up with her startling changes in plot. Oh, Mr. Park Ranger. Can you apply sunscreen for me? It's hard to reach all the right places by myself. She squished my hands around, making me munch her breasts, moving her chest back and forth, smearing slippery soap all over. I can do that. I began massaging her tits, her shoulders, her stomach. Reached to take her in my arms, but she pushed me back with one hand. Do my back. She dutifully hopped to show me her back. Naked to the waist, then again below those ever so brief shorts, naked from butt to the tops of those socks hugging her strong calves. I took a good look, just savoring the moment. I saw her all the time, but not like this, not blatantly offered to me. Not as part of a play that was going to end in mind-blowing sex. I squeezed her shoulders, working the muscles, her upper arms, worked down her back, slickering up her skin, pretending to rub in sunscreen but enjoying having my way with her flesh. She moaned, leaned into me. Taking her in my arms from behind I reached around for her tits, found them, squeezed them, letting her but feel my stiffness, ready to get down to some serious sexing. She dodged away again, my hands slipping from her wet breast with a slurp. We have to stretch. Going into a lunge she leaned into it, grabbed her forward ankle, brought her chest down to her thigh, bounced. Her strong back muscles flexing, two bulging ridges framing the valley of her spine. Her tiny shorts hiding nothing, her butt on display, her glutes prominent. Oh to be so flexible. I tried the stretch, got about halfway, my face near hers, looked her in the eye. She grinned. Switch. She straightened, hopped to reverse her stance which made her lovely breasts jiggle, went down again. I straightened more slowly, not wanting to pull anything. Shuffled my legs to reverse, bent down, straining. Her face was near, looking at me. She smiled, rocked forward, put her lips as if to kiss me, eyes half closed, rocked back without making contact, eyes flashing. Tease. She stood abruptly when the sky lit up, a real storm arriving ahead of schedule. The crash. Followed almost immediately. Oh. Mr. Ranger. We have to seek shelter right now. The scary lightning is here. She took my hand, skipped to her bedroom doorway, naked back and but bare legs flashing, those ridiculous clod hoppers galumphing, pushed the door open. We can hide in here. She jumped on the bed, pulled at the covers, slithered her legs in and pulled the blanket up to her neck. It's getting cold and damp. Will you share your body heat with me? Since this is an emergency? She opened the blanket to make room for me, all business. Exposing her delicious chest, stomach. That will require skin-to-skin contact, according to the scout manual. I stripped my shirt, flung it away. Put my thumbs in my shorts, dropped them over my hips, stepped out, naked. She was fumbling under the covers, thrashing, struggling, then stilled, brought her shorts out, swung them back and forth for me to see, tossed them away. We have to do what the manual says. In a survival situation. I nodded dumbly, having trouble finding something clever to say while a naked willing woman held her blankets open so I could crawl in and fuck her brains out. She waited impatiently. Hurry! Before the storm hits and you get all wet. I unfroze, sat on the bed and swung my legs in, lay down. She covered us, immediately swarmed over on top of me face down, curled herself into a juicy female package, arms tucked into her breasts, knees folded under her, face to my chest, burrowed in. Oh. It is warmer this way. It was more that warmer. It was red hot. I could feel every inch of her body against mine, feel her breath on my chest, her loose hair cascading around my neck. Her hips gently grinding on my crotch, her bush abrading my cock, absently running her fingers through my body fur. Can you hold me? I'm afraid of the thunder. It makes me shiver. I obliged, wrapping her in my arms, got a satisfied M. Hiker, you should be fine once your core temperature returns to normal. I didn't know why I said that, just parroting the scout manual, I guess. 
Maybe you could start a fire to warm us. Don't scouts start fires with wood? And rubbing? She unfolded, still lying on top of me, reached a hand down to stroke my wood. Yes, they do. And pressure. It's important to stroke the hard wood against some flammable tinder. She hiked herself further up my body, bringing those lips almost within reach, her face contorted in concentration. Maneuvered my dick to come to rest against something wet and warm. I think my tinder is too wet to catch. She pouted, disappointed. I shook my head. No, we'll just have to press firmly. Once it reaches 405th. I quit talking, as she'd begun to snub me past her cunt lips, engage me in her body. That'll do. It was more than good. It was wildly exciting. I knew intellectually this was my love, my Jillian. But my subconscious didn't care about that. It believed the play acting without reservation, that I was grappling an innocent hiker girl I just met. And it wanted to get inside her very, very badly. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh, careful. She was on hands and knees, crouched over my body, moving herself forward and back, each stroke engaging my cock a little more, getting me a little further socketed into her vagina. I could come at any moment. I was on a hair trigger. My core temperature is getting warmer. I can feel it. Your hot wood is warming my insides. Her goofy prattle struck right at my libido, making my cock harden beyond reason, the head swelling to fill her sex, balls contracting and hardening. Slitch. Suck. Slitch. Suck. Her sex clutched at my dick as she rocked, lewd sounds loud in the room. A little more rubbing, and I think it will ignite. I put my hands on her shoulders, pulled her down along my body firmly, tilted my hips to jam my cock into hers, seating myself fully in her wet sex channel. Held her that way. Her butt started shaking, I thought part of the play acting but no, her eyes were clenched shut, her head on my chest, moaning. Enwawawaya. God. Mr. Ranger. Your wood. It's burning me up. I'm going to melt. Ah. She got suddenly wetter inside, fluids rushing to make my sperm feel welcome, spurting to coat my cock, made us slippery and warm. Her entire body contracting with her orgasm, from the soles of her feet to the muscles in her scalp, one simultaneous pulse of pleasure. Inside she'd gone from healthy warm girl to spasming sex animal in the space of two heartbeats. My subconscious knew this was the moment. My balls clenched wildly, began convulsing like a second pulse. My hips of their own accord jammed into her body spasmodically, my cock head battering her cervix, mashing my tip against her opening as my semen jetted, spurted, guttered into her. My vision went white, my mind blank. I don't know what happened next. As I regained awareness of the room I found myself still on my back, Jillian still shuddering on top of me, not yet coherent. Her sex was flooded with fluids, hers and mine, pooled inside her, dripping between us. There was the mother of all wet spots under my butt, my thighs slick with our sex juice. My balls were sore, soggy, dangling limp between my legs, twitching weakly. My cock was still in her, still firm. Not my doing. My body just loved being coupled to hers, I guess. I dared not move it. She was still recovering her wits. I waited that out, breathing deep, feeling her rise and fall with my chest. This was the best place to be in the world, underneath the love of my life, supporting her, sweaty and sticky and spent, her sex-loving mine, her body strong and flushed and savoring my life-giving semen, coaxing it close to her womb. Safe and warm and loved. She relaxed, her muscles releasing their tension, flopped off of me, coming uncoupled with a lewd splurch, rolled on her back. She grabbed the blanket, flung it off as the heat of our passion billowed out in waves. We stared at the ceiling for a bit, naked, sweaty and exposed, listened to the rain, reviewing the last few minutes in our minds, marveling at the power of suggestion. Feeling the soreness, the sticky skin, muscles warmed and softened. Greg, if we ever do that again, I think it might just kill me. I giggled, not quite in control of my emotions stifled it. But what a way to go! After starting laundry, a big load this time including the entire bedclothes, we spent the remainder of the lazy rainy holiday indoors, reading and chatting. Like an old married couple, happy with our simple life, safe from the storm and with each other. Nick. Morning passed like usual if I can say that. Only been here like two weeks, one a short week, three-day weekend. But a pattern phone lines open, everybody grabs a call, talks some poor sod down from the ledge who's panicking about spending time in jail. Worse, a lawyer, think they'll get some special rate for their client but the boss says no way Jose, charge them the standard rate and only if they can convince you they'll not bolt, run for the state line. Lawyers promise the moon but sure, it's not their money. Not had a skip yet, 
That's what Jillian called them, a skip, everybody's paid the premium, made their court date. I got a little nervous a time or two but fingers crossed this week goes as well. One guy, my first day. Had a skip, hadn't asked the right questions, hadn't even tried. I heard the boss lady, not Jillian, the woman in the corner office, you can always tell the boss that way, reaming poor old Dewey up one side and down the other. He just stammered and made excuses, it was clear he was shit at this job, a pushover. Jillian got to walk him out the door, which was cool. I like the work, don't get me wrong, Jillian saved my ass by getting me this gig, getting me a place to stay. At the fams, a great couple, got a lot of neat stories about the old country. And some pretty grim ones too. Still it's all good for me, pay is low but regular, better than band rigor, my old job. I'm even saving a bit. Well, part of one paycheck anyway, under my mattress. I'm grateful but I want to move along in this business, maybe do field work. Collection, skip tracing, even bounty work. That would be the best. Not sure how to start, but I figure this place might give me an opening to try some of that. Kelly says two of the desk folks got a chance, a couple years back. How long has Kelly been here? Did some collection, some home visits. Both of them quit right after two rough she figured. Not really safe to rouse desperate people, looking at jail time, maybe even guilty, thinking of running, leaving the boss holding the bag. Takes a certain mental toughness, not many have it. I think I do, but what do I know? Oh, got a girlfriend, maybe? Kang, she's Jillian's sister somehow, never mind how, doesn't matter. Had a couple dates. Sweet little woman, pretty as a model. Smart as hell, makes clothes. A designer, she put together an outfit for me, I look like somebody now. Makes me feel good, feel like I matter. Nobody did that for me before. Did it for Jillian too, looks like wow. In that little black dress, microscopic. All the right curves saw her at the club and, well, splush. Anyway she's with Greg, those two are like joined at the hip so not gonna get anywhere there. Kang is a firecracker. Aggressive, knows what she wants, tells you right off, no fooling around with passive-aggressive shit. Likes it a little rough, I gotta be careful, she's maybe 110, 120 dripping. I mostly fend her off, let her pull hair, tell her she's a bitch, a little biting, some slap and tickle. She likes it when I hold her down, go to town on her. Anyways, most days Kelly and I go to lunch, talk shop, talk music, whatever. It's nice to have a friend I guess Kelly is a friend. And Jillian too if I'm honest though she's the office manager so I have to play nice. And Kang of course. New for me, eat her cooch but still friends, usually that makes it something else. Back from lunch today, Vietnamese again, I never get tired of it. No such thing as bad Vietnamese food, all healthy stuff and fresh ingredients, as hot as I want it. To convince the waiter I'm serious about the heat I order in Vietnamese, then they believe me. Afternoons are slack, I ask Kelly about that. Oh, everybody that came in late afternoon, overnight, court does arraignments first thing in the morning, all the calls for bonds are right after. They try cases in the afternoon, then not so many calls. Around here anyway. That's 11 counties around, that many county courthouses plus state, no federal cases here, that's all up in the big city. What it means is we have maybe 50 lawyers with multiple clients needing bail every morning. Small shit by and large assault, dandy, malicious mischief, property damage. Bail is needed for anything violent, so mostly we deal with hotheads copping an attitude. I don't mind, it's a blast telling them they're gonna pay for their assholery. They get mad, make threats, I just sit tight until they go quiet, then quote the rate again. They fold, they always fold, the only alternative is a cell which their ego won't let them go there. Afternoon is a trickle, stuff that comes in late or guys making a second call, refused by the first place they tried. Got to be selective, I've said no a time or two. Kelly backed me up she says better paper is preferred to more paper. Means, only accept when you're good and sure, even if it means passing up a premium. I don't know why the boss doesn't send some of us home, half the desks are idle now. Maybe she has enough trouble keeping people, wants to give us enough hours we don't go looking for another job. Anyway I get bored real quick so I'm glad to grab a call soon as the board lights up, helps pass the time, makes the day go by easier. I do 45, maybe 50 calls every day, most of them result in paper. The boss is making bank. Except for the forfeitures, that has to hurt. Hope it all evens out in the end. Jillian is pretty chill today letting things happen, letting us do our job, just watching the room, chatting with the boss in her office. I think she got some this weekend, maybe got a lot, the way she's all quiet and relaxed. Can always tell. She's in there now, laughing about something with the boss. I would have expected her to hit the street like most afternoons, recruiting. 
We have an empty desk since we left. Two really Jillian takes calls in the morning like the rest of us. Once she fills that desk, replaces herself, she's moving on to other things. I like that about Jillian not too good to get her hands dirty. I like most things about Jillian. Too bad she's with Greg. She's coming out, I expect she'll hit the street. But no, she's coming over here. Nick! The boss has a problem. I said maybe you would be interested. I perked up at that. Ask and you shall receive. My old man used to say that, until he threw me out anyway. What's the deal? A home visit, a bounce check. Probably nothing. She called a skip trace. They can't get there for an hour. She wants to get on top of it. The check was important. Gotta get paid. But more important was making sure they make their appearance. Else the boss is out maybe ten times that much on the forfeit bond. I'm in. Who am I working with? Knew I could count on you. Dallas. Here's the address, the bad check. Knock, return the check, get cash. Any trouble, wait for Dallas. I'd seen Dallas here once, tough broad, leather pants and a sweat jacket, maybe ex-police? Something like that. This was gonna be great. I took the check, the address slip, a bank zipper bag for the cash. Jillian had some more deets, about his job, his offense. Across town? Not familiar. Jillian fished in her pocket, pulled out keys. Take my truck. It's over the hill, a trailer park by the creek. Nice place I hear, but we do see those addresses quite a bit. Trailer parks get a bad rap. Affordable housing, lots of nice folks need that. A few bad apples. Your baby? You just got this truck. I'll treat it like my own. She smiled, not concerned. Jillian is cool. The address was a number, and the court name. Cruise the loop, numbers stenciled on the curb, usually, except where the curb was broken or repaired. Nice place as these things go, plenty of flowers by the curb, no trash. Found what I think is the right one, no number but between the number on each side. Not bad looking, grill in the small fence yard, lawn furniture, shed in the back, no dog. Nobody else here, no vehicle in the tiny parking spot. Certainly not Dallas, can't miss Dallas, fills every room she's in. Should I wait? Nah. Maybe nothing Jill said, I get the job done, she can call off Dallas, save a hundred bucks. The steps to the door wobble, they need to drill and bolt the iron frame, somebody could get hurt but whatever. I open the screen door, screeches like a banshee, peer through the tiny glass door panel, can't help it, invasion of privacy but I like to know what I'm getting into. Some sheer curtain stuff, can't see much. Maybe movement? That would be good, somebody home. I knock, loud call out. Mr. Watson! It's Nick, from Crenshaw Bail Bonds. Can we have a talk? In my best butch voice. Nothing. Well, maybe nobody home. That could be good or bad. I knock twice more, not getting my hopes up. Maybe I have the wrong place? Step down into the yard, look around. Nothing gives me any inspiration. What would Dallas do? The mailbox? It's by the curb, on a rusty metal post. A federal offense looking in there, but as long as I don't take anything. Three ads for occupant, and one for. R. Watson. Bingo. I have the right place. And he's been here recently, yesterday anyway, else the box would be stuffed. Most cars gone, folks at work but Mr. Watson worked nights in sanitation according to Jill. Maybe just asleep. I knocked pretty loud. One rusty muscle car down the way, parked on the end of the street next to the sign that said. No street parking. I walked down, peered through the windows. Pretty clean, somebody was proud of it even with the rust. Two-seater, dust on the passenger seat but not the driver's side. Been driven lately? Open mail on the dash was the only litter. Leaning on the hood, craning my neck, got a look at the envelope, partly obscured but I could see, Atson, and the postmark was yesterday. So he's home. Or has two cars, which seems unlikely. I hear a rumble, around the loop comes this mean-looking SUV. Tinted windows, way more than legal, cruising slow. Not my man either, no way Mr. Watson owns that. Dallas? My money is on her. I'm walking back and the SUV pulls to the curb at my Mark's house. Engine off, just sits there for a bit. I walk to the gate, wait to see what's next. Driver's door opens and I see over the roof a shaved head, broad shoulders. Dallas. My heart jumps for some reason. Get a hold on yourself. Don't want to act like a dweeb. You from Crenshaw? This from Dallas. I nod, she came over. I reach to shake her hand but she ignores it, scanning the trailer, the lot, the street. I look her over, notice a rip in her leather pants, on the calf. She notices me noticing. Fucking dog. I hate dogs.
She looks at it, just a scrape, a little blood. Dismisses it. What we got? Doing recon before she takes any action. My pulse is racing, from the situation or because this enormous gorgeous hunk of woman dressed like a commando is talking to me? Works nights, should be home. No response to my knocks or voice. Mail in the mailbox for our Watson, not a lot. Car down the street. I pointed at the old muscle car. Has the same name on some mail, postmark yesterday, clean, maybe driven recently, no dust on the driver's side. She looked at me for the first time. You've done this before? I shook no, stayed quiet, waiting to see what came next. She hiked down the sidewalk to get a look at the backside of the trailer. I followed but not too close. Blank wall but for a tiny square frosted window, bathroom? The kind that swung open from the bottom, open maybe an inch or two now. I saw her decide. What's the plan? She looked at me again, sized me up. That your pickup? I nodded. It was Jillian's but for the purpose of this conversation it was mine. Park it in front of his car, box him in. Just in case. That was all she had to say so I pulled out my keys, got in and backed it until the bumper kissed his. Returned on foot. Dallas had a battery drill in one hand, fetched from her trunk. I'm gonna do a forced entry in the front. He comes busting out, I got him. Or Mr. Watson will maybe try to get out that bathroom window. If he does, wait for him to hit the ground, get on top of him, keep him there. Twist his arm? I nodded, that was all doable. I'd had to roust folks at band venues, didn't take much to subdue a regular citizen. I didn't figure Mr. Watson for any kind of tough, just a regular guy under pressure. You okay with breaking and entering? My question. A forced entry sounded over the top? She grinned a tight grin. Not really gonna do anything. Just make some noise, rattle the door, spook him. Won't even leave scratches on the lock. If he's in there, he's gonna panic. All good with me. Nothing like a little theater to flush the rabbit. I took my position quietly, vaulted over the fence, went to the back wall stealthily, waited beside the window where I couldn't be seen from inside, heart pounding. Dallas made an obvious noise going in the gate, clomping up the steps in those boots, shrieking open the screen door, knocking like a ton of bricks. Mr. Watson, we're here to detain you on suspicion of fleeing bail, intending to evade. All bullshit, there wasn't any such offense, but would he know that? Mr. Watson, I'm coming in. I heard the drill start, heard Dallas bumping and banging on the front door like she was intending some serious damage. Sudden rattle from inside. Quiet for a moment, then the window started to move. I saw hands stick out, fiddle with something disengaging the bar that swung the window out, pushing the window wide, slowly, carefully, so as not to make much noise. Then nothing. Second thoughts? Dallas chose that moment to start battering the front door like she was gonna break it. That did it, hands on the sill, a head stuck out. Clearly Mr. Watson, a little guy, maybe he could really fit through. Arms out next, then shoulders, wriggling, tight fit, pretty soon half of him was dangling out the window. Something fell inside, his feet flailing, knocking something over. His face showed panic, looking down, looking at his car, but not looking at me. Once he got his hips through he slid like a sack of flour, arms out to catch his fall, hit the ground with an oof. He lay still, face down, the wind knocked out. My cue. I stepped up, crouched, put one knee in his back, grabbed one arm and brought it around. Hey. That's all he got out then. Ow. 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 As I torqued his shoulder, pulling his arm up tight. Mr. Watson, can we have a word? Always be polite to the client, that was the rule at Crenshaw. Dallas came around just then, saw me restraining him, and I saw the first big grin out of her, didn't know she could even do that. Felt a pulse of pride, hot in my chest. Mr. Watson, you want to come along nice, have a talk? We just want to talk. Or should my colleague here put cuffs on you? Talking shit, I didn't have any cuffs. He protested, his face in the grass, despair in his voice. I'll talk. Get off. I'll. I'll. I looked at Dallas, got a nod, released him, stood. He brought his arm down, didn't move for a beat, recovering. Rolled on his back, looked up at us, anguish on his face. You didn't have to bust my door. I was gonna appear. I gotta work, I can't go to jail. More shit like that, just driveling out his mouth, saying anything he thought we wanted to hear. Sad really, a guy over his head, wriggling like a rabbit trying to get out of a snare. Mr. Watson, I believe you. But we had an issue with your check, apparently some mistake at the bank. It didn't clear, so we came by. You clear this up, then we'll be on our way. Said softly but somehow all the more dangerous for that. 
Dallas was good. Got his attention. Got him back on track. I gotta pay this guy. Owed him for work on my place. Wouldn't give me any slack. And they want to take my car. The envelope on the dash had had a red stripe. A repossession notice likely. I can't work without my car. Dallas spoke again quietly. You can't work from a cell either, Mr. Watson. So let me tell you how this will go down. You will hand us the full amount of the bad check in cash now. I pulled the check from my pocket, stamped by the bank, held it out to him. He took it without looking. I don't have that here. Dallas smiled. So you have it in the bank? A savings account? Good, we can go there now, in my rig. You withdraw that much in cash, give it to my colleague here, and we'll call it a day. But my car. He was more concerned about the car than jail. What people will do for their car. So it went down like that. Mr. Watson in the back of Dallas rig, a wire barrier between the back and the front, just like a big city cab or a cop car. I followed in the truck, parked at the bank, went in with them. Mr. Watson tried something on with the bank teller, got a VP out to clear it up. Dallas didn't flinch, just produced some paper, the VP read it, nodded, went back to their office satisfied. He folded then, I saw it in his posture, he was done. Told the cashier what he needed to, got cash counted out, Dallas scooped it up, said something polite, left him at the counter, despondent. I fell in with her, we got to the sidewalk before saying anything else. Here's the money for the bond, count it, give me a receipt. I did that, it was right, and a receipt already in the bag, a pen too. Jillian knows her stuff, or the boss does anyway. Taking her receipt Dallas handed me an invoice already filled out, I put in the bag too. I wanted to say something more, but didn't. Intimidated, I guess? Just watched her go to her rig, open the driver's door. She paused, turned, looked back at me. Nick, is it? You did all right. Wouldn't mind working with you again. I lit up like a kid at Christmas, unreasonably happy she knew my name. She thought I did all right. Didn't care I looked like a dweeb, just smiled and smiled. Dallas laughed. Got in, started that monster with a roar, drove off. She knows her business. All of it. Read the situation like a pro, flushed the perp, um, client, said what needed to be said. Drives a mean rig. Sounds menacing. I'm sure it's not a regular street engine. Those SUVs go up to 600, 700 horsepower, one of those. Jillian was grinning, letting me get it all out, run down. She'd taken the bag to the boss, passed some words, come back smiling. And now I was babbling in her ear. And hopping around, full of nervous energy, couldn't sit down. I made an effort to control that, but just succeeded in vibrating in place. Boss says to say thanks. And good job. Sounds like we won't have any more trouble there. You met Dallas? Then you know. She's a badass boss lady, rigged for bear. That jacket. Those boots. She has an ankle holster. I saw it when I was kneeling on Mr. Watson, when he tried to flee, nothing in it today but geez. Jill raised her eyebrows at the kneeling on part, smirked, imagining me as a badass skip trace I suppose. You're not gonna get much more done here today. And it's a slow day. Take a walk, burn that energy off. Maybe take the afternoon off, think about things, about what you want out of this. Boss says there could be more, if you're up to it. Cheaper to pay a regular employee for home visits than a contractor. I nodded, not really hearing, just rerunning the job through in my mind. Heard the take the afternoon off part, grabbed my jacket, grinned at Kelly on the way out, she'd hear all about it tonight. She seemed to get along with that work okay. What do you think? Kelly followed Nick out of the room with her eyes, something like pride in them. Jill considered, sighed. I'm thinking, I'm gonna have to fill three desks now.